Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of Practice Purchased. I'm excited to welcome Dr. Braden Callister as a guest to share his experience finding a practice for sale exclusively using brokers and browsing online. Dr. Callister is a great example of educating yourself early and browsing lots of listings to find the best practice. The practice that Dr. Callister bought in this episode collects over $1.2 million with great overhead, leaving him with pre-tax, pre-loan take-home pay somewhere around half a million dollars a year. As you listen, pay special attention to how Dr. Callister did better than most at finding good options for sale solely browsing online listings from brokers. Also, pay attention to the pitfalls of ultimately buying a practice listed with a dual representation broker that will charge both the seller and you, the buyer. Let's get to the interview. Okay, Dr. Braden Callister, thank you for joining me on Practice Purchased. Give me a quick rundown on the steps between undergrad and where you're at now in your career. Hey, Brian. Yeah, thanks. Uh, between undergrad and now, I mean, I just did the usual, I mean, take all the classes, take the DAP, and then applied all the schools just like a madman. Um, and I got accepted to Missouri School of Dentistry Oral Health. It was with AT Still. Um, the Arizona School is the sister school that just opened. So as the in the first graduating class of that. And that's about it. Now I'm owning a practice. I've been in the practice for about a year now, coming up on a year in April. That's awesome. Congratulations. And where do you practice now? I'm in Fresno, California. Excellent. Just, and yeah, how long did you area. work after school before you bought the practice? I worked for just under two years after school as an associate yeah. in the Midwest with a little corporate gig. So the move to Fresno was a move across the country, but at what point did you know you wanted to own a practice? Was there a catalyst? Was this an early dream or in life or, you know, how did that work for you? Yeah, I knew early on in school that I wanted to own a practice. I didn't want to, I'm, I'm the type that I just didn't love the idea of working for someone my entire life. I wanted to, you know, be able to make decisions and be able to run it the way I want. And, you know, if I didn't like something, I wanted to be in, not in control. I'm not a control freak, but I just, I just like the option to be able to, um, you know, run it the way I want and be able to fine tune things without someone else dictating what I have to do and what I can't do and that sort of thing. So I knew I'd say within my second year of dental school that I wanted to own eventually. That's perfect. Yeah. No, that's, that's a pretty common story. And then all, all through the, um, when I worked as an associate too, I knew the whole time what was working as I was looking through, you know, third, fourth year for practices. I was looking even as an associate for practices all along, but I thought it'd be good to jump in as an associate for a couple of years. So I, it's not my name on the door making the mistakes for the first two years and I could get my feet wet, learning all the business and the, you know, feel more comfortable with the dental before it was my name on the door. I'm a big fan of that strategy for 99.9% .9 of dentists out there. So tell, you, know, you said you were looking, you were searching. Tell me about your search strategy. How did you find practices to buy and what worked and what didn't? Yeah, my third year of dental school, well, second year and third year, I started looking for a lot of practices. I went online and just found, tried to find sites that had a lot listed. You know, there's sites out there that have a couple listed here and there. I tried to find a couple really solid sites. One I loved, I always knew I kind of wanted to be on the West Coast. One site I loved was Western Practice Sales. They have all the performas, the profit and loss statements. They have everything on that website for a lot of practices. Yep, um, they have California, Utah, Nevada. I mean, they're, um, I, I just found that site Dynamite, and I really skimmed through P&Ls and performas and 
try to dive in third and fourth year what to look for in a practice. I bet I went through hundreds of practices just looking at what makes a good practice overhead um, and what I was looking for in a practice. Um, I found some other sites, AFCO, Shine, there's Dental State Association listings, but a lot of what I found on were online on websites. And then I just contacted brokers, asked questions. Um, yeah, and then I ended up using CTC Associates. I was about to buy a practice, and then mm-hmm. that fell through. And then my practice was eventually through AFCO, the second one, and that's the one I am in now. I went through AFCO. Yeah, that that practice falling through is quite a story. Um, oh yeah, we, we should get into sometime because I'm I'm intimately <laughs> familiar with that. Um, and um, that the fact that you're standing today an amazing practice uh, is, is quite a testament to you and your. Um, resilience, <laughs> but, yeah. um, tell me that. So, um, you know, you talked about familiarizing yourself with good practices, bad practices. You're out on brokers websites. You're, you're actively searching the web. Was there like a personal networking strategy at all? Did you ever consider doing, you know, some guys will do mailers or, you know, they'll send letters or, or actually call offices and things. Did you ever do any of that? I never did. No, I, I, starting in my fourth year, that's when I first heard about that strategy on some podcasts. And I don't know, it just wasn't really my style and my approach. I probably would have worked great. I could have probably found a lot of good practices. I just found so many good ones on other websites that I didn't feel as if I needed or anyways, I was, yeah, I, I think I just found great great practices otherwise I know in some areas it may be good to do that. Maybe, uh, you know, where there's a lot of corporate, um, corporate dentistry, buying up practices even before they're on the market, that may be a strategy you have to do in those areas to find a good practices. I I'm, I'm understand that some corporate buy up all the good practices before they're even listed. So it'd be hard in certain areas to find a good practice online. And so that strategy may work, you know, in the Mesa, Arizona or Phoenix, Arizona, Utah, or in major metropolitan areas, that may be a better strategy. Um, I was never one to go to a major metropolitan area or a really high, um, you know, competitive market. So I didn't really need to use that strategy. That makes sense. Okay. So how did you find this practice that you ultimately decided on and are working in now? Yeah. So my practice that I was originally going to buy fell through and we were stuck over Thanksgiving break, just panicking what to do. And I'd had actually seen this practice that I'm in now. I had seen it a couple months earlier and I thought it was a great practice. It just wasn't in an area initially that we were open to my wife and I. And so later I stumbled upon this practice again, once the practice fell through and I saw um, it listed on AFCO and it was um, just kind of spoke to me. It said a uh, new grad looking to make 400,000 plus, you know, right out of, you know, purchasing the practice. And then it said that um, looking for a dentist with Utah based values. And that was where we originally were going to buy a practice was in Utah. And so anyways, we met with the seller and um, seemed to just work out and things fell into place. So it ended up being a great, the, you know, way better than that first practice. But yeah, I went through AFCO. I found it on their website. Got it. Now I remember some of those conversations over the Thanksgiving break. How did you, and I, I'm, I know you're aware of the dual representation nature of this broker in particular. How did that, you know, how, how big a deal was that for you? Did it change your approach at all? And how'd you feel about it? I didn't know a ton about dual representation and how that would really pan out when I was looking at the practice. It wasn't really till I was diving in and a little more serious once we kind of got into negotiations where it really even showed up as an issue 
you know, first off, you just kind of say, oh, dual rep, whatever, that's fine. It's a practice I want. But once you start doing the negotiations and contracts and purchase price, uh, dual representation really shows what it is. And it, it was difficult, very difficult. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone if you can avoid it. But the, if the practice is the one you want, it's worth it. And in the end, it's not a huge deal, the dual representation, but it's a nightmare when you're doing it. It's no yeah. fun. <laughs> Where do you mind if I ask where in particular you feel you got the raw end of the deal working through those negotiations? Yeah, so a dual rep broker obviously is they they get a portion from the seller, a percentage portion of the sale, and so they're in it for the money, right? Whatever the practice sells for, they get a percentage of. And so obviously they're not representing you in the negotiation, even though they claim to as far as the purchase price. So I really just had to push and stand my ground on that as far as what I wanted to pay for the practice. Because I realized um, as I spoke to the dual rep that they tried to they try to sell me on the value of the practice and why it was worth that much. And they weren't really representing me as the buyer and the a fair valuation. And so that part was kind of a hindrance. And that's when, you know, I was in contact with you, Brian, and you kind of helped me work through that and what should we, we should offer. And anyways, if you have a dual rep, I'd for sure recommend finding someone that's more on your team and not split between the two parties just okay. to represent you and really just have a good sounding board. Um, to logically go through it because the dual rep's going to try to sweet talk you and try to upsell the practice and the value of it and going to try to talk in because again there's money to be had for him during the sell on both sides right and so for the privilege of all that sweet talking you had to pay what do you remember yeah i had to pay in the end i mean he claimed to represent me and there's no way around that i think i had to pay afco is is either five thousand or fifty five hundred just because they claim to represent me. So yeah, not only did he give a piece of the pie from the seller, a percentage, but also they charge you as the buyer because they're representing you. Right. Well, now that you're in the practice, are you glad you bought it? Oh, for sure. Yeah. In the, you know, halfway through, I kind of, when we're working with the dual rep broker, I kind of questioned, oh, is this going to work out? Um, And I told the broker actually straight up, I said, you know, if, if anything's going to sour the deal, it would be the broker. And I, I told his assistant, you know, he, they kind of work in a system. I said, I, I would rather speak to you than the actual broker on some matters. And so I kind of opted to communicate only with uh, their, um, their assistant actually mid process <laughs> as bad That's, as that sounds. I, I was it. just so sick and tired of him trying to sell me and trying to, yeah, <laughs> it, it was just at one point, get this Brian at one point, his his first couple pieces of advice were this, and this is when I knew the dual representation just wasn't the best option. Um, early on the transition, he said, um, when we were starting to get into the contract stuff, he recommended that I not use a lawyer to review the contract and not not look at it. That was one of his pieces of advice. He, and I asked him, I said, why? Why? This is the, the biggest purchase of my life. Why would I not have a lawyer look at it? And he said, you know, it just starts getting too um, convoluted, too... Um, confusing going back and forth and back and forth and uh, right off the bat I knew that was going to be an issue so the other piece of advice when I when I was setting up the meeting personal meeting with the seller he said the advice he gave me was do not talk any numbers with the seller only talk treatment (laughs) philosophies in that I, I was just had that that didn't quite sit right with me I mean you're buying a practice from him you have to talk numbers and I get the reason behind it and I get a little bit of where he's coming from but it's just not not 
reasonable to to not talk numbers at all. And so, anyways, I think it, he was trying to make it convenient for him and to not sound, you know not mess up the deal on his part. And that was what he was after. Sure, I mean that. But that's that's the two worst pieces of advice yeah. you could ever give a buyer. So that's that's when I knew the dual representation wasn't the the best option, ideally. But in the end, the practice was great. You know, it's it's it was worth it in the end. I stuck my ground and we worked through it. And again, I had you on my side to help me kind of push back when I needed to push back and kind of just lay down if it wasn't that big of a deal. But we we got the major points we needed in the contract, and it worked out well. As long as you have someone sense. kind of in your corner. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. So, and I've, I've said that a number of times to clients, you know, that if the underlying practice is worth it, it can be worth some of the pain is, yeah. to go through. But so picture yourself 20 years from now. Well, and let's say 19 years from now, you've been in practice for a year. Um, I assume you're going to be doing uh, even better than you're doing now. Um, as you look back at that experience, how important will that broker be to your overall career? I think we got the major points we needed to. And so for me, overall, the broker was a non-issue. Um, I mean, if you pay a hundred more thousand, you know, for the practice or, you know, you pay more because of that, uh, I mean, that could affect you a little bit. Right. Um, I would assume, you know, with your payments and your cash flow early on, but overall I would say it's, it's not that big of a deal. The broker, um, for your 20, 30 year career. Yeah. That's awesome. It seems All right. To work so out. If, it, if the practice is worth it, go for the dual rep. If it's not, you know, if it's just as good as another, I'd avoid the dual rep if possible, but sometimes you just can't avoid it. Solid advice. Yeah. I yeah. couldn't agree more. All right. So uh, picture your D1, D2 back in, in your alma mater dental school and in, in there in Missouri, anything you'd like uh, other aspiring practice owners to know about finding a good practice to buy? Yeah, the biggest advice I could give is just start looking early. I know a lot of the podcasts out there, you know, shared practices and yourself, you you voice looking early. I mean, start looking early. Don't wait till it's five months before crunch time to start looking. I mean, go in and look and call reps and, and find what you want in a practice and what you're looking for. I mean, initially I thought I'd want us uh, – um, practice that was not doing as well. And I wanted to build the practice and kind of make it something from nothing. And I as looking at practices. I just, you know, as you look year in and year out at hundreds of practices, you start to find that it may, it could work definitely. But um, anyways, I found as I was looking at practices that it might be better to pay a little more for an already productive practice. And so yeah. by looking at practices early on, you'll kind of find what you want, what you don't want, and you get a better grasp on the numbers and what's going to work for you and what you're looking for. Well said. Well, Dr. Braden Callister, thank you so much. Are you okay if folks reach out to you and we put your contact info in the show notes? Oh, for sure. I, I, uh, I'd love if, uh, recent grads, new grads reach out and get advice. And I think that's a good thing to do. So yeah. Well, I'd thanks for hearing from other dentists. And yeah, absolutely. Thanks for your time today, Braden. Hey, thanks, Brian. Good to chat with you again. I love Braden's story. There are five specific areas I want to really highlight from that story. Before you do, remember that you can get my exact tips and techniques to reach out to brokers, including the exact word for word details to include if you email or call them by clicking the link in the show notes or just texting the word examples to 33777. The five areas of Dr. Callister's story I want to highlight are, number one, his preparation. He started looking at listings as a D2. Wow. Number two, Braden was open to a wide geography, increasing his chances of seeing a good listing with a broker. Number three, Braden also educated himself by looking at hundreds of different listings before he was even ready to buy. 
Number four, he got help to navigate the process and didn't rely on what the broker told him. He had his own accountant. He had his own attorney. And number five, Braden is just naturally a good guy. I bet you got that from the interview. When guys like Braden tell their story, it sounds pretty straightforward and maybe even easy, but it's not. It can take years to find a good practice relying solely on brokers. And because it's not easy, most of your peers won't do it well, leaving all the good practices for you. Thanks for listening. 